The Sermons of St. Francis de Sales for Advent and Christmas. Continuing his sermon for the second Sunday after Epiphany, the Wedding Feast of Cana. Let us return to the Most Holy Virgin. My Lord, she says, they have no more wine. The Lord answers her, Woman, what have you to do with me? My hour is not yet come. This answer may seem at first to be a bit harsh. To hear so gentle and kind a son reject his mother's request so brusquely, her prayer made with so much reverence and humility. What words between son and mother, between the two most loving and lovable hearts that ever were? Ah, Lord, what is the creature to do with her creator, from whom she has received being and life? What is the mother to do with her son? What is the son to do with the mother? from whom he received his body, that is, his humanity of flesh and blood. These words seem to be very strange, and have been frequently misunderstood by those attempting to interpret them. Such misunderstanding has given rise to several heresies. One would be bold indeed to attempt with the understanding alone, and without divine help, to grasp the true meaning of these words. The truth is, that this was a very loving response, one fully understood as such by the Holy Virgin. With it, she felt herself the most obliged of all mothers. She made it clear that she grasped its true meaning and was fully confident when she said to the servers, You have heard my son's answer, but because you do not understand love's language, you may consider it a refusal. Not at all. Just do whatever he tells you and do not be anxious about anything. Assuredly, he will address your needs. There are many diverse opinions among the doctors on these words. Woman, what have you to do with me? Some say that he meant this. What have you and I to worry about? We are only guests, and ought not to have to be concerned about such things. But let us hold firm to what the majority of the fathers hold, that the Savior used these words to his Holy Mother, to teach persons holding some high church position, such as bishops, not to use their offices to favor their blood relations or to favor them in any way contrary to God's law. They ought never on their relatives' account to forget their dignity and abandon the uprightness with which they are obliged to exercise their offices. Our Divine Master desired to give this lesson to the world and use the heart of the Most Holy Virgin for this purpose. In this, he actually gives her a very great proof of his love. He meant this. My dear mother, in replying, What have you to do with me? I in no way intend to refuse your request. But what can such a son refuse to the most loving and loved mother ever? You have loved me perfectly, and I have loved you sovereignly. This love we have for one another permits me to take advantage of your heart's constancy as I teach this lesson to the world. I am certain that your most loving heart will not take offense. Although it may appear a little harsh to others, it does not appear so to you, who understand the language of love. Love does not express itself only by words, but also by the eyes, gestures, and actions. For instance, tears which flow from prayer are often proof of our love, as the psalmist gave witness when he poured forth abundant tears before God. 
The spouse in the Canticle of Canticles said, My beloved is for me a bundle of myrrh. I will take him and place him between my breasts. That is to say, in the midst of my affections. And a drop of this myrrh will strengthen and comfort my heart. So this divine lover, the most sacred virgin, takes the words of our Lord as a bundle of myrrh and puts them between her breasts in the midst of her love. She receives the drop that flows from this myrrh. It so strengthens her heart that hearing the reply which to others seemed a refusal, she believed without a doubt that the Savior had granted her what she had asked of him. So she confidently says to the attendants, Do whatever he tells you. As for the words, My hour is not yet come, some thought that our Lord meant that the wine had not yet failed. There are special moments ordained by divine providence for us, and on which depend all our good and our conversion. God had determined from all eternity the hour and moment of effecting two great miracles, that of the Incarnation and that of giving to the world this first sign to manifest His glory. But this divine will was not so bound that our Lord could not advance that moment when asked by His mother. To understand this better, remember the example of Rebecca and Isaac, who both desired to have children. Unfortunately, Rebecca was sterile, and according to the laws of nature, could not have any. Yet from all eternity, God had foreseen and ordained that Rebecca would conceive and have children, but on the condition that she be granted them by her prayers. Thus, if she had not prayed for them with her husband Isaac, she would not have conceived. Realizing that they were childless because of her sterility, she and her husband shut themselves up in a room and prayed so fervently that God heard them, granted their prayer, and Rebekah became pregnant with the twins Esau and Jacob. In just this way, the loving size of Our Lady advanced the incarnation of Our Lord, according to the ancient doctors. It is not that he became incarnate before the time that he had ordained, but in his eternity he had foreseen that the Holy Virgin would implore him to hasten the moment of his coming into the world, and that he would hearken to her prayer and become incarnate sooner than he would have if she had not prayed. It is quite the same with this first miracle that our Lord worked today at the wedding feast of Cana. My hour is not yet come, he said to his holy mother. But since I can refuse you nothing, I will advance this hour to do what you ask. From all eternity he had foreseen that he would anticipate it in favor of Our Lady's prayers. Oh, how blessed is the hour of divine providence, in which God has willed to bestow on us so many graces and blessings. How blessed is the soul who will await that hour with patience, and who will prepare herself to respond with fidelity to it when it comes. Certainly, that was the hour of divine providence in which the Samaritan woman was converted. Likewise, on this hour of divine providence, our conversion and reformation depend, and we ought to take diligent care to be well disposed for it, so that when our Lord comes, we will be ready to respond wholeheartedly to His grace. The Savior commanded the attendants to fill six stone water jars that were set there for the purifying of the Jews, since they always washed when they had touched something forbidden by the law. They had rigid exterior ceremonies, to which they were extremely exact, 
but according to scripture, they took scarcely any care to purify their interior. These attendants were very careful to do as the sacred virgin directed them, for as soon as the command was given, they filled these jars so full that according to the sacred text, the water overflowed. Then our Lord said an interior word which no one heard, and immediately all the water was changed into very good wine. This word was doubtless similar to that which he used when he created all things from nothing, and gave life and being to man, and which he used in that last banquet with his disciples, when he changed the wine into his blood in the most holy sacrament of the Eucharist. What an exceptionally excellent wine! By it we are nourished, in that it is by the reception of the body and blood of the Savior that the merits of his passion and death are applied to us. Let us conclude by saying a word about Our Lady's power to present our needs before her Son. We must invite her to our banquet, too, since where the Son and Mother are, the wine will not fail. She will infallibly say, My Lord, this daughter of mine has no more wine. But, my dear souls, for what wine do you ask? Oh, certainly that of consolation. It is all that we desire. A simple example will make this clear. A good woman has a sick son, who is also her only child. She cries out to God, He is the fruit of my womb. In him I have put all my hope. And when human remedies can do no more, she has recourse to vows made to the saints. All this is, of course, good. It is right to invoke the saints. But, my dear daughter, why do you so beg for your son's health? When he is well, what will you do with him? I will put him on the altar of my heart and burn incense before him. Now, do you not see? If the virgin had asked for wine so that those at the wedding could become inebriated, our Lord would not have changed the water into wine. If we want Our Lady to ask her son to change the water of our tepidity into the wine of his love, we must do whatever he tells us. This is a good point. Those attendants were extremely prompt in accomplishing all that he commanded them, as our Divine Mistress had counseled them. Let us do well what the Savior tells us. Let us fill our hearts with the water of penitence, and this tepid water will be changed into the wine of fervent love. Do carefully what is at hand today, and tomorrow you will be ordered to do something else. Do we wish to have a long and fervent prayer? Let us nourish ourselves with good thoughts during the day, making frequent ejaculatory prayers. Do you wish to be recollected in prayer? Outside of prayer, keep yourself as if you were there, and do not waste time in useless reflections, either on yourself or on what happens around you. Do not amuse yourself with trifles. You would wish to have some light of faith to understand the mystery of the Incarnation? Nourish yourself the whole day long with pious thoughts on the infinite goodness of our God. Finally, practice well what you have been taught until now and rest in the providence of God, for He will never fail to supply what is necessary to you. Praise Him in this life, and you will glorify him with all the blessed in heaven. May the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit lead us there. Amen.
This has been taken from The Sermons of St. Francis de Sales for Advent and Christmas, translated by Nuns of the Visitation, and edited by Father Louis S. Fiorelli, OSFS. Published in 1987 by Tan Books and Publishers, Incorporated, Rockford, Illinois, and aired with permission of the publisher. This book may be purchased online at www.tanbooks.com or by calling toll-free 1-800-437-5876. This has been Christian Classics with Teresa Hofer. Listen every Monday through Friday at this time as Teresa continues her great readings and selections from classic Christian literature right here on the Ave Maria Radio Network. News and talk for Catholic and other Christians. <laughs>